0: In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because he realized that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men from Babylon. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the men from Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God, forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes time and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king.
1: So my father-in-law was raised in Hudsonville, and um, there was a tornado that went went through Hudsonville when he was a little boy, and so everybody did what you do in tornadoes. They got to the lowest part of the house, down to the basement, and um, when they were down there, they were like, where's Brian? So they start looking for him. They found him sitting on the roof of the house to get a better look at... The, the storm, the tornado that was coming, which my theory is this, because my father in law has the coolest voice in the history of the world. And um, I think that's when he got his cool voice. Like, it was like, you know what? That kid's so brave. Let's say, you know, next thing you know, he's like, I'm fine. And you're like, whoa. You know, that, I think that's when his voice showed up. Because that is the coolest move ever in the face of a tornado. He's like, let's watch, you know? I know for me, being raised in, you know, the Western United States, in the mountains and things like that, we just didn't have tornadoes. I saw stories about them on the news. You know, it's like tornado tears through south, and you're like, oh, and I, I was, I've always been afraid of them. I don't like tornadoes. They make me uneasy in my body and spirit. I just am bothered by it. And I remember when I uh, first became a youth pastor, I worked at a church in Hudsonville that's no longer open I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm going to just leave that for you guys to interpret. (laughs) But uh, I worked at this church in Hudsonville, and we were there. I was a youth pastor, and all of a sudden, like all these alerts go off that there's a tornado warning, my first tornado warning in Michigan. I did what every paranoid, like, person would do. I screamed out of bravery, and then I ran, I was like, get downstairs to the basement. I was forcing everybody downstairs. Students were laughing at me. Erica's looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, tornado, tornado, finger of God. Like I remembered that because like in the movie, you know, Twister, that's what they call it, the EF5, and I was so scared about, um, about the tornado. I was just like terrified of it because for me, Like tornadoes are scary. There's powerful storms. When we went to an artist and said, would you read Daniel chapter 2 and then do a carving of what you read, he saw a storm. He saw it as a bit of a, a storm, a tornado. And um, when, when, he, when he started putting the saw to it, I mean, you saw it. Bear Claw Jack is awesome. And when he put the saw to it and began cutting on it, this, this storm kind of emerges. I mean, you can see it even there. It has that twister kind of thing to it. It's the power of God, like a mighty tornado. He sees it this way. But here's the thing, I think my story of a tornado and my reaction and my father-in-law's reaction are two polar opposite responses to it. The same thing, a tornado in Hudsonville and one little child responds bravely, I run downstairs and hide in the nursery. Like there's two different responses and the responses depend so much on the person. Here's what we know. In the story we're going to look into today in Daniel chapter 2, we find King Nebuchadnezzar in the middle of a storm. It's an emotional storm. It's not a physical storm, but he woke up from a dream and he was ticked off wound up scared all these emotions now maybe you've had this I don't know if you're married you know this like I remember there's been a couple times where I look at Erica and I'm talking to her in the morning and like her little eyes are shiny and she's like I'm like what's wrong and she's like you were mean to me in my dream and I'm like "I I wasn't there I don't know what to do with that, you know. Or she looks sad, and, and you're like trying to comfort her, and, and like words like, "I just can't believe you'd say that to me." Oh, but I didn't say it. I didn't do it. But she feels it, and it and it hurt, right? I've had those dreams too, um, and it and it just it kind of messes you up. The king had a dream and it so stirred up a storm in him that he stirred up a storm in the kingdom, in the empire of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar kind of whipped into a frenzy all of the royal court, all of the wise and noble people, and he was on a war path. He created a storm in a situation. One of the people affected by that storm was the prophet Daniel. And Daniel is one of these people who fears God, and he doesn't fear other people. And he would know the same, that he would see the vision that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel, because he feared God, was not fearful of the king's rage or circumstances. Daniel feared God, so he feared nothing else. And I think it's important to just pull back from this for one second and talk about the great reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther talked about the fear of God. And I just want to do this real quick for us. He talked about two different forms of fear trying to help us understand what a healthy fear of God is and what an unhealthy fear is. He talked about servile fear. Servile fear is a form of fear that is, you're afraid of someone who has tormented you or harmed you or put you in pain and you see them and there is a rising of anxiety, fear, it kind of grabs to you. I don't know about you, but if you were ever bullied or someone in school gave you a hard time when you see them, you'd have this like, it scared you. That is a servile fear. It's a fear of someone who has tortured or tormented another person. And um, and it's someone who, who owns, kind of lives in your head rent-free. And when you see them, they look at you and there's this malevolent sense of being owned by it. That's servile fear. Luther talks about familial. I don't know the Latin word he uses, but it's familial fear. The fear of... Of God as father. Now, I want to say this. Many of us had bad um, representations of a godly father. So when we think of God the father, we think of our earthly father. And um, and we have to understand that our earthly fathers don't always embody the right traits of our heavenly father. And our heavenly father is perfect. And he loves us and does all things for our redemption and relationship with us. And Martin Luther talked about a familial fear, the fear of your father, because you see your father kind of high and lifted up. He's this person who you respect. And when you're little, I mean, you know, you put his shoes on, you're like, such big, mighty feet. You know, and you do these things and you look up to them, and they're this amazing person. And you never want to disappoint them. Have you ever had that where you want, you like, you know, you got in trouble for something? My grandma Folker's was. She didn't do this like manipulatively, but she, one time um, I, I, was, I was playing with something. She bent over to grab something. And I thought, I'm going to just, you know, like play. And I kicked her in the behind, which you don't do to my grandma Folkers. And she turned around and put her hands on her hips. And she, my nickname was Ick. And she said, well, Ick, I am disappointed. And my mom said, I just melted. I was like, oh no, spank me punish me put the wood to me straight to the woodshed anything but i'm disappointed ick i'm disappointed it's that kind of fear we we do things because we hold God in awe and we would never want to disappoint his intentions or his best desires for us. So when God, when when we hold God in a fearful state, we know that he's almighty God and he holds the keys to life and death and he is almighty God, but he's also our father and he loves us. So we fear and hold him in awe and holy reverence, but we also don't want to disappoint someone to whom we love look at and desire close relationship with. When Daniel feared God, he wasn't scared of a God who tortured him. He was scared of ever doing doing anything that would break relationship with the God he loved. Daniel was in the storm, but he wasn't afraid. It reminds me of a story in the Gospels, Mark chapter 4. Jesus is out on the Sea of Galilee. He's out hanging out with the salty sailors, known as the disciples. These guys who fish the lake all their life. They know the waters. They know what storms are. They know what rough seas are. And they get into a squall, a a storm out in the middle of the lake, and it begins swamping the boat. And these like hardened, leathery sailors are like, "Oh, we're sinking!" And they're panicking. And they go back to tell Jesus that they're sinking. And you'd think, why would they need to tell Jesus? Because in the midst of this raging storm, Jesus is asleep. He's at peace in the middle of the storm. So they wake him with the loving words, don't you care that we're about to die? And he stands up and he says, oh, you of little faith. Stands up and says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves just go, and submit to his word, and he shows himself as God over the storm. But in the storm, he was perfectly at peace. He was perfectly at peace. While everybody else was panicking, he was at peace. And we find a similar spirit and way within Daniel, the prophet, when he's faced with this situation. Daniel speaks peace in the middle of this storm, think of the wood carving, that, that twister, right, this storm of emotions and fear and all this, Daniel speaks peace. He speaks peace into it. And you've got to, like, look at the storm for what it is. King Nebuchadnezzar has said some things. He said, I had this dream, I didn't like it, and I want to know its meaning, Okay, which seems like, okay, tell us your dream, it'd be fair, and then we can think about it and figure it out. But here's where the storm goes from a small gust of wind to a massive tornado, is when King Nebuchadnezzar says, and I'm not going to tell you what the dream was, you're a magician, you're a seer, you're someone who sees visions, you guys, all the wise men of the Babylonian empire, you go out and figure out what my dream was, tell me my dream, and then interpret it. Like, have you ever tried to tell somebody a dream, and as you're telling them, it kind of slips away into the back of your mind. You're like, no, no, I don't remember what happened, but it made me sad, you know, or something like that. Like, your dreams, you try to remember them, and it's like they kind of drift away. That's hard enough to tell my dreams to someone, much less to tell someone else their dreams. Like they wake up and it's like, how was that cheeseburger you ate in your dream? You know, right? No, it it would be like impossible. The, The wise men of Babylon were going, we can't tell you a dream that we didn't have. We don't know, they're in a really bad spot because they know they're gonna be put to death in a pretty rough way because they cannot know the dream, then interpret it. That's what Daniel speaks peace into. And Daniel speaks peace into this situation because his peace is rooted in God. It's not rooted in the Babylonian Empire, the approval of Nebuchadnezzar, or anything like that. His peace is rooted and established and comes from God. Daniel chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. We find ourselves with the captain, the commander of the king's guard, going out, to do what Nebuchadnezzar said he was gonna to do to all these families. It says this. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for some time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house. He explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah. We know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And I love this. Daniel praises God before he knows and gets a confirmation from Nebuchadnezzar. He knows that he's seen the vision and he praises the God of heaven and he says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Like, I lo- there's so much theology in that. The holy name of God. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals Deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I love that. Reminds me of the psalmist. He wraps himself in life like it's a garment, right? Dark or light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what was asked of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. So Daniel praises God knowing he has seen and experienced this vision. And it tells us one thing. In this world where fear rages... Where there's pandemics, where there's wars, rumors of wars, culture seems like it's being flipped on its ear, fear is all around us, and we're feeding on it all the time. Here's what I think Daniel's story speaks as an accurate word into the heart of where we're at right now. Fear the right thing. Get your eyes above your circumstances and fear the right thing. Fear God. Proverbs chapter 15 speaks a lot about this. And in verse uh, 16, it says, better to have a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. The difference between Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar was that Nebuchadnezzar saw something and he knew it mattered, but he couldn't figure out what it was. He was wrestling with it and his mind couldn't conceive of it. This is why I'm so thankful for a God that is beyond our comprehension, because if I can comprehend God, then he's my size. But a God beyond my comprehension is a big God. And Daniel wasn't rooted to what he could understand. He was rooted in God. And the difference between Daniel's response and the king's is this. Daniel feared God. I would say Nebuchadnezzar feared losing power. He feared losing influence. Daniel feared God, regardless of what Nebuchadnezzar did. That's the powerful thing in this. Fear the right thing, church. Quit being afraid of all that's going on around us and fear that we would live lives that don't live fully into the gospel call. We will not be asked... When we get to heaven, what we did in our career, we will be asked what we did with Jesus, and we should live in a fear that we would not have an answer to the God we love and hold up as holy and just and sits in awe and majesty to answer back to him, well, I knew Jesus, but I was just really interested, you know, in me time— How's that going to work out? Or in my career, or in my possessions, in all these things. Or I was crippled because I was afraid. Jesus speaks a parable on that. That to bury the good things God put in us, the talents, is an offense to God. We need to live in fear of God, not in fear of this world. I'm not saying things aren't fearful. I'm just saying he is God over the storm. Remember Jesus asleep in the back of the boat in the middle of a raging storm fear the right thing, church. And after you fear the right thing, well, and let me say this, Daniel was not only different than King Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel was different than the other wise men and magicians in Babylon. They were like, oh man, I am super dead. I mean, they were just like, can you imagine like them burning incense and they're like, I think his dream was about camels. No, that's not it. Like, they're pulling rabbits out of their hat. They're trying to figure out what this was. They are grasping at the wind and losing their grip. It's this amazing thing where you can see them just being like, oh, man, we are so much in trouble of death. And Daniel's going, I'm going to go back to my friends, and I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to lay this before God. Why He feared the right thing. He wasn't owned by the impending doom. He was owned by the majesty of the God he loved. That is an awesome moment. But once he fears the right thing, what does he do? He speaks peace. Daniel speaks peace. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How true is that? How true is that? Learn the difference between, between diffusing a situation and igniting it, right? Walking in and diffusing a situation versus igniting it and letting the storm really get going, get steam and explode. Igniting versus diffusing. Daniel comes in to a situation where he sees a well-armed man named Ariok and Ariok is showing up, sword drawn, ready to put to death and cut to pieces all the wise men, which Daniel is one of them, of Babylon and what does he do? He diffuses it. He diffuses it. He says, why why would the king do such a thing? Let let me go talk to him. And he goes into the king and he doesn't say, hey, man, um, super duper don't want to be cut up into stew meat, wondering if maybe you could uh, rethink this. You seem a little out of sorts because of your bad dream, sir. No, what does he do? Can you give me just a little time to lay this before the Lord? He speaks peace. The king is in turmoil, and this agent of peace walks in and says, do you mind if I just spend some time praying on this? It diffuses the king's anger. Ariok obviously pulls back and gives a little bit of time, a reprieve on the execution of all these people because Daniel's going to pray about it. He speaks peace into a situation And after he speaks peace, so he comes in into this situation and he fearing the right thing speaks peace and then he does the thing that so often we miss. He goes and he prays. He goes to his friends and he asks them to, he returns to his house and he says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey guys, we gotta pray about this. And we've gotta ask God to show mercy because our lives are on the line and we need God to answer this prayer he urged them to plead in prayer for mercy from God proverbs 15:8 says this the lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked he hates the sacrifice of the wicked but the prayer of the upright pleases him the prayer of someone in right relationship with him pleases him and you may think i'm not a good person This faith we live is not about you being a good person. It's about you being in relationship with Jesus Christ and submitting yourself to his lordship and understanding that by his death on the cross, you were saved. He saved you. And then you submit your life to him and the prayer of the upright pleases God. But when the wicked bring all their expensive gifts, God hates them. So what we know and understand in this is Daniel goes back and he prays and his life is one that is directed to fearing God, to being an agent of peace in relationship through prayer with our Lord Jesus, with our Lord, the God, the heavenly father. And we understand that Daniel's in this deep abiding relationship where he speaks to God in prayer and pleads with him for mercy. So after he prays, then we see this wonderful kind of coming together of a couple of elements. The fear of God, remember this wonderful fear of holding God in awe and wanting to please him with their actions. So fear and humility, knowing his place with fear and humility. When you put those two together, you get bravery. Daniel's not out to make a name for Daniel. What did he say? What did Daniel say? We'll go back to it real quick. When he said, um, when he said uh, the thing, when he's praising God, he talks to him and he says, the thing that he he raises up is about the name of God. He holds up the name of God to all these, to To his friends when he when he asks God for help. He holds up the holy name of God. Daniel is not making a name in this situation for Daniel. Daniel is making God's name known. His focus is the honor and glory going to God. He wants God to be known and understood. So Daniel, in his fear of the Lord and his humility, not trying to be king of it all, but trying to serve God faithfully in the place where he's at, his fear and humility compel him to live bravery. And I will tell you this, if you fear the Lord and you understand that your role and my role we are members of a body, but we are not here to honor ourselves. Our lives are to honor God, and if we live in fear of God and humility, what we will live is brave lives because it's no longer about us. I, I think one of the hardest things that you can have in relationships is when you tell something, someone that maybe is a friend that hard things happening in your life, and they're like, yeah, that happened to me too. My cat had a hangnail, and you're like, it's not about you, Right? How often do we do that with God? And we see Daniel in fear of God and humility, knowing his place. He doesn't misdirect the attention to himself. He points everything back to God and he lives bravely. He lives bravely. Uh, Proverbs fifteen thirty three: wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor humility comes before honor. Daniel's reply to the king is so awesome. This is what he says in Daniel chapter 2, 27 and uh, 28. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can help explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, Oh, that's awesome. Daniel's in a moment where he has the knowledge and he could heap on himself power and authority, but he doesn't. In fear of God and humility, he said, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you laid in bed are these. But what did Daniel say? I'm not interpreting it for you. God's speaking the mystery through me. He points everything back to God. He gives God all the the glory. And what Daniel says is you, king, were laying in bed and there was a great statue. Its head was gold. Its chest was silver. Its, its, Its body was bronze and then... The legs were iron, the feet were clay mixed with iron. And he goes through this interpretation of the kingdoms that will come, right? The kingdoms that will come. And it really predicts the the Roman Empire that comes, smashes everything, makes a universal language, but then is a mixed people. It's this crazy interpretation Daniel gives to the king, and he says, king, this is your dream, this is the interpretation, and that God is going to do this and raise up kingdoms lesser than yours in days and years and generations to come. Daniel speaks a word into Nebuchadnezzar's life that uh, sounds an awful like peace, be still. I know you're in a storm, but be at peace, king, and be still, be at peace. The spirit of God was upon Daniel and he spoke peace and he brought with him stillness into the crazy storm of this king's rage and fear and terror. He did not fear anything around them. He was able to speak peace and seek not his power, but the power of God. Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son, Jesus Christ, a member of the triune Godhead, Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit spoke peace in Mark chapter four over the storm and it calmed. Jesus Christ, your Lord, my Lord and Savior, we are filled with his Holy Spirit. And we are not called to add to the chaos around us. We are called to speak peace, be still, over this world. Peace, be still. Speak a word of peace. If you don't have a word of peace, do what Daniel did. Go pray about it. Lay it before God. Peace, be still. We have the spirit of Christ living within us. We can speak peace and rely confidently on God to work out his purposes. But we are called, we are called to fear God, knowing our place, which is this, to seek him, to pray to him, to speak peace into this world. And I will tell you this, it will take great bravery to deliver the word of Lord, the Lord into this generation, but you're called to do it. I'm called to do it. And if we raise our voices collectively, I think we'll see a lot of the storm lose its energy and lose its power under the authority of the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit moving throughout the land, creating revival and a hope that is bigger than our present circumstances. My friends, I invite you to know that this is the way we live brave. Brave. This is the way we live brave. Fear God. Love him and trust him. And speak peace, my friends. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that for all of us, we would hear your words, peace be still, in the storms we're facing. For those of us struggling with employment because of the changes in the economy. For those of us struggling with the fear of some new numbers coming out about this virus and a spike. I pray God for... um, those of us who are afraid that our country is, is losing its history and, um, and, the, and that we feel um, upended. Lord, I pray for those of us who feel like we have been, um, like been kind of held back and, and there's anger and frustration and we want to scream out against systems because we're afraid that things will go back to the way they were. God, I pray that you would silence fear fear is a liar and that you would open your mouth and speak into our ears and hearts a word of peace be still that we as the church would be at peace in our circumstances because we are at peace with the God who created us the God who redeemed us and the God who called us according to his purposes for his glory we pray this all in the name that is above all names the name we cling to the name that called peace into the storm, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. In a world that feels like it's just screaming right now, in a world that feels like there is so much anger and rage and just an outpouring of like, it feels like just... A, a volcano of the wrath of all these feelings, all these emotions. The church is given a word to speak. I invite you, friends, this week to speak peace. Speak peace. Let the word of God come out of you and speak peace into a storm that seems bigger than all of us could imagine, but it's not. It is not a storm bigger than the God we serve. Be brave and speak peace. Speak peace this week. And As you do, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Church, speak peace in the lives you live throughout this week and the weeks to come. Grace and peace, you are dismissed.